Hello and welcome to the ICE Tech Talks podcast, part of the ICE CPD program. I'm James Crumley, a Knowledge Manager here at the ICE. In this episode, we are discussing how the transport sector can adopt a systems approach to infrastructure and what this means for civil engineers, asset owners and project teams. In April 2022, the ICE published part two of the systems approach to infrastructure delivery report and I'm sure we'll pull out key learnings from part one and part two over the course of our discussions. To discuss the topic, I have two excellent guests joining me, Andrew McNaughton from Axel and Paul Eastwood from Costain. Andrew, do you want to say hello and tell us a bit about yourself and your current role? Hello, everybody. Um, as James has said, my name is Andrew McNaughton. Um, I've been a chartered civil engineer for more than 30 years now and spent uh, the first 30 of my 35-year career in, in the construction, uh, 17 of which was with Balfour Beatty. And latterly, I spent five years with um, systems engineering uh, organization, uh, Sistra, who is a French-owned and French-based transportation systems engineering uh, organization. And in 2020, I was asked by the ICE to lead a study, which has led to the, the production of, of now two reports, but uh, into a systems approach to infrastructure delivery. Thank you very much, Andrew. And Paul, same to you. Tell us a bit about yourself. Ah, hello. Uh, Paul Eastwood. I work for Costain. I'm the head of the systems approach capability. So I started my career in the RAF and then left the RAF to join BA Systems, where I was working on fast jets designing avionics for fast jets, and then moved to Talos, designing Sonar systems, and then moved to Airbus uh, on research and technology and landing gear. And I, I moved in for train infrastructure in 2010, which was a big surprise for me how uh, nobody had ever heard of system engineering. But I've been doing system engineering um, for over 25 years, uh, and the last kind of 12 years in infrastructure. Thank you, Paul. So starting with you, Andrew, I guess, what do we mean when we talk about a systems approach to to infrastructure delivery? And I guess, why are the industry and the ICE talking about it at the moment? Well, I think the uh, if, if we start off with stepping back a moment in, in, to actually, you know, what do we mean by systems? And, and I think uh, I'm always very careful when you're talking to particularly colleagues in transportation, um, because they have a particular sense of what systems mean. And we don't we don't at all mean the established systems associated with a metro or a rail, a rail uh, network. What we're talking about is thinking of the world as a system. And if we think of it in terms of infrastructure, um, no piece of infrastructure or no infrastructure project is created in isolation. Um, they're very much part of an integrated network system of itself. And uh, the project, as, as I say, the project of itself is a very complex um, system of, of elements. But very often it's an intervention or an upgrade or an expansion of an already operating network, making it more then of a system of systems. And so thinking of, of the world and particularly infrastructure projects as a system rather than a single piece of civil engineering activity gives us a whole new different way of thinking about the delivery of the eventual outcomes for the project that's been commissioned. Thank you. And Paul, when you were... Uh talk to your colleagues at Costain and you know, perhaps those who aren't familiar, how, how do you describe you know, and explain what, what systems is and what it means? Well, I, I try to keep it really simple using examples they can recognize. Um, so the, the, the kind of broad brush example is, is how everything's connected together to achieve uh, a purpose. 
Um, and it's about understanding that purpose of connections and what the emergent properties are of all the pieces connected together. What, what does that mean? What's its purpose, its functionality, its capability? But the one that a lot of my team use now and, and people really like is, is the bike example, how um, pieces of bike, each element when connected together, uh, achieves a purpose of a, a bicycle. If you optimize any one part without consideration for the whole bike, uh, it tends to pessimize the bike as a whole. And, and essentially, that's what Simpson's approach is trying to do. How does the optimize everything for the system as opposed to an element? Thank you. Uh, Paul, so I guess w when you're sort of talking to your colleagues, what are the benefits of implementing a systems approach to infrastructure? And I guess, how do you see it changing some of the roles of uh, the civil engineering colleagues you work with? So I think the infrastructure, um, the, the ICE report on a, a systems approach to infrastructure delivery really helped with the language of the benefits. And it's, it's been difficult over the last kind of 10 years to get the message across. But I think now that they can see that a systems approach, systems thinking especially, helps to see a different picture to the ones that they see. And it's having the humility to understand that they might not get all the terms and language of a systems approach or system engineering. And so it's really the work that's needed to, um, to, to create a language that's understandable by the majority and try and explain things in the most simple terms. And that helps people to realize the potential and benefits of uh, adopting a systems approach within infrastructure delivery. Andrew, echoes with you and... Yeah, I'd just like to pick up on a couple of things that Paul said uh, in, the, in the last couple of comments he's made. I mean, I think uh, I think the bike analogy is great. Um, and I think, you know, the whole basis of how is this changing uh, the lives of us as civil engineers? You know, when we, we did the original study, one of the things that, that came out or one of the pieces of the hypothesis was that uh, infrastructure projects are now increasingly dependent on technology and particularly emerging technology. And I could put forward, a, you know, a case in the future where a piece of infrastructure or an infrastructure project involves very little physical asset at all. It actually involves an upgrade or an implementation of, of a technology which, which delivers incremental benefits to the community that it serves. And so in that sense, actually beginning to think of the system that we're operating with and, and taking that point around emerging technology and that analogy of the bike means that we have to understand all of the different elements of technology, how it's developing, what the technology roadmap is for a particular project, which sits you know, alongside the physical asset and the concrete and the steel and the tunneling that, that, that we're going to do as civil engineers. Because it's, those, it's that coming together as a whole that allows you to pedal the bike, to use the metro, to, uh, to, to travel uh, on, on an, a smart motorway, whatever it happens to be. It's all of those pieces coming together at the time when it's needed to commission it. And just pulling on that point around, I guess, the technology side of things and perhaps data as well, I guess how, well, I guess they are very critical, but I guess how do they fit into an effective approach to, you know, systems approach to infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, in the first report, we, we, we called out that one of the key themes was about um, data and that data oils a project. Um, and actually, if we take that whole point around uh, around it, uh, a project being an intervention or an upgrade or, or part of an, a broader network, um, one of the things that we, we need to look at for the future is, is what is the data architecture? What is the data requirements that is needed for efficient and effective operation? Um, you know, we talked in, in, you know, previously we've talked about data being a sort of golden thread 
through a through a project. But actually, what we what we came up with was actually it's a golden loop, because if we have an operating network that that we we need to add to and therefore become better, we're going to take data from an existing operation. We're going to develop a solution, um, and then that data will flow back into the operating network. So. And one of the fundamental things is is a requirement for the asset owner or the sponsor of the asset to actually define the data requirements that they're going to need um, through through the project delivery, but most importantly during operation. And Paul, to you around around data, I guess how how are you using it and how are your team using it? I guess as part of a, part of their roles, and is it I guess is it changing? I guess how clients and asset owners are thinking about uh, a systems approach. The challenge of data is too much and not understanding where it's coming from, how to use it. So what we're doing uh, as a team, as, a, as an organization, is, is helping identify what data do we need? How do we ensure that data is validated and been trusted to make decisions? And how do we help people all the way through the life cycle, at all kind of levels of life uh, infrastructure development to make the decisions that, that make the value exchange and the outcomes happen? So we use techniques, systems mapping, system dynamics, that kind of thing in the early stages, uh, requirements, and then validation, verification, that type of thing. Where does this data need to help a decision be made? Uh, and how can we trust the, the data we're seeing? Thank you. And I guess thinking, around, which comes in a bit, the data around barriers and, I guess, challenges. I guess, what, what, what sort of barriers and challenges have you seen, I guess, either internally making the case or, more importantly, you know, externally with clients and project teams about adopting uh, this? Yeah, it's the unknown that the data will tell the story of. I think that's the biggest challenge. People don't know how much data they've got, what the data means, and if they give it to somebody else and they're able to analyze it and, and create a picture from it, they, they don't know what that picture is, so they're very wary about sharing data. Uh, and, and I see that a lot um, in government departments and in clients and, and internally. So it's how do we give confidence to people that the data picture that's created from all the pieces of data coming together, they can trust and they can do something about it and use it wisely. And then do you think, thinking about the, the transport sector and transport projects specifically, I guess what barriers or challenges you know, from data and beyond do you think they face when thinking about a citizen's approach? And I guess are they overcoming them and, or are you seeing people challenging that, those barriers already? I think I think one of the the biggest challenges. I'm not necessarily saying it's it's data because the, the one of the challenges is to take data into management information. Otherwise, it's just data, mm. um, and actually truly understanding what information is required for for operating operating a network or whatever the the facility happens to be. I think one of the challenges that we face and we're, we're addressing right here today in this in this conversation is is broadening the conversation. Um, so that people people have a greater understanding that you know there is no project in isolation. It's all part. Of, we have to broaden our mind to think of the system that, that we're operating in, and it's not just for transportation. It's not just for uh, infrastructure projects. You know, the world we live in is is a complicated system. Um, it, it's a complicated socio-economic uh, system, and and with politics mixed in as well. And so, no, very, very few decisions can be taken in isolation without, you know, considering the impact on 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 other elements. Uh, and so, that's you know, one of the opportunities rather than challenges, I think, for for particularly complex transportation projects, is to map the system that that exists and the interactions and, and interdependencies with its environment, stakeholders, and decision makers. 
in order that uh, the complexity can be simplified. And actually on decision makers, staying with you, Andrew, um, one of the things I sort of jumped out from the reports was around you know, people needing to take ownership of projects and the agile leadership as well, so that perhaps comes with it or comes separately from it. I guess how, how can asset owners, infrastructure owners, I guess, create that from the start of a project and I guess get it right? Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I think the leaders of projects have to understand the the, uh, the increasing complexity of, of, of an infrastructure project and therefore the increasingly diverse and dispersed nature of teams that are involved in projects, the different skills and competencies that are across all of the different elements of the project. Um, and so leaders of the leaders of the future, whether it's uh, whether it's the asset owner or through the delivery delivery aspects of it, um, need to have much more of an awareness of the complexity. We also talked about it through the development of a project, giving the voice to the right part at the right time. Very often delivery gets the strongest voice too early. Um, we need to come to the proper solution giving the right development time and the right development uh, emphasis to, emerging technologies before we race to a solution and race to deliver it on site. So actually giving the, the development um, side enough voice early on will enable a, a much better delivery in a project. And Paul, are you seeing many projects and I guess clients sort of adopting this approach at the moment in terms of thinking more agile and being willing to take ownership and I guess you know, breaking breaking from the past, I guess, in the terms of the way they lead lead these? It's, it's quite mixed. Um, even within sector, some some clients are taking a systems approach, or, or they're more looking for a different approach to achieve the, the, what what they need within the constraints they're finding now. And I think it's up to um, all of us, not not just uh, companies like uh, Costain, but but all academia, supply chain, manufacturing, the whole kind of uh, network of people involved in infrastructure, to try and push, you know, that extra. Um, value creation, unlocking the potential that infrastructure can bring, uh, be it uh, decarbonisation, sustainability, social economic. Uh, And that's one of the things I find about the systems approach is if you can look at infrastructure as something for the people and you're creating a value exchange for those people, then how far does your project influence and and what can you do differently? It's like local supply chain, schools, education, building everything in there and unlocking some of that potential of infrastructure, not just its, you know, perhaps business case uh, potential, but other things you realize can be achieved by seeing the whole system uh, and how it's connected to its environment. And I assume coming into that as well is that element around value and actually where you see value and how you can drive value, I guess, in a project as well. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think many things are created without the intent of creating value for owners, users, or, or society as a whole. But you've got to understand what that value or the majority of that value is at the business case. And, and then uh, the kind of delivery uh, assurance of that all the way through the project. So when we talk about outcomes, we're talking about realizing that value creation, that value exchange for the people using it. And Andrew, around value with you as well, is, is it something, I guess as well, that's quite integral to you know, a systems approach? And is, is it something, again, that industry is starting to get get a grip of? And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we have to work backwards from the from the benefit that we're, we're seeking to deliver from a piece of infrastructure. It's about societal benefit in the communities, as Paul has just, has just said. Uh, and, and 
ensuring that that value is delivered. You know, when we set out on this journey early in 2020, you know, it was it was on the basis that, that you know, an international study had shown that 70% of mega and major projects have disappointed their owners, either through cost and time overrun, which everybody cites, but actually it was not delivering the outcome that, that was expected. Um, and that's because, you know, focus has not been across all of the elements of the project and their interdependencies. Are we seeing progress in that? Yes, we are. Um, interestingly, last year, we also worked on revising the IPA, Infrastructure and Project Authorities, um, route map for, for, for project delivery. And in 2014, when it was first established, there was no module on system integration. That just shows you how, you know, how we're moving. Just imagine, you know, Crossrail was started, you know, at that time. And yet there was no module on system integration where, you know, there is one now because we wrote it last year. But it just demonstrates how the pace at which this is moving. You'll also see in the in the, the IPA's transforming infrastructure performance paper that was issued last year where, the, you know, there are five objectives for improving performance. You know, thinking of the world as a system, thinking of the, of the elements that, that need to be delivered is, is, is intrinsic in that. So, so we're making progress. And uh, the better, the better this whole concept is understood and appreciated in its in its broader sense, then then the quicker we'll move. And that reminds me, as well as one of the other interesting things from the report was the was shovel ready versus sho- shovel worthy. Is that right? Can you explain explain the difference and uh, how it plays into this? Yeah, I mean, this that goes back to if I if I you know don't want to re- repeat some of the things I've said, but it, but it does come back to things like technology. It's actually being sure. You know, very often projects are starting with, um, and we adopt in civil engineering the hero mentality, which says, don't worry, we'll figure it out as we, as we go. And, and very often we get towards the end and realize we haven't quite figured it out. You know, this is making sure that we give that voice, as I said, to, the, to, the, to things like technology and design at an early phase. And actually, when we start a project, when we know they will all come together um, at that moment when we need to commission, as opposed to we start as soon as we can stick a shovel in the ground, which is, which is our you know our historical way of approaching it. I, I think it would be we'll never achieve this, because, but as a civil as engineers we're optimists, aren't we? So we will never achieve this. But I would I would laud the day when when our leading politicians instead of heralding sticking a silver shovel in the ground and saying don't worry guys we're starting now. They actually stand in front of the camera and say, we are starting because we know that on a certain date, the community will receive the benefit um, from, from this uh, piece of infrastructure. That would be a, you know, a, just a step change in message that we could give to the community. Paul, anything you want to try? Absolutely. I, I think that the shovel-worthy rather than shovel-ready has um, really impacted me in my career in, in uh, infrastructure where things are done to meet a milestone on a, on a project plan as opposed to when they're ready to be delivered. And that it's just false for the clients, false for the users, it's false for the builders and developers. So we have to move away from that kind of approach, more to shovel-worthy. But also, I think we, we can't assume that everything will be known at the time the project starts. But the systems approach has techniques and tools that help deal with ambiguity. And it gives you that agility to define things later on. You're controlled, configuration controlled, and you understand you know, the impact of that not being understood at the point of, of design or development or whatever else, but you know you have to do something about it. And 
you know, in the world I live in, we, we, we used a, a software term called technical debt. So as long as you understand the consequences of, of not having that information, uh, you can manage the risk of that moving it forward. So you carry the technical debt and just like money, it's going to cost more to correct it the later on you leave it. But if you, you need to make a decision based on, let's say, access to a site or a particular thing, a number of things coming together and you have to be there, you can control it. But it doesn't mean to say you know have to know everything, but you just can't ignore it. Thank you. Let's stay with you, Paul. Are there any projects I guess you've been involved with or seen recently where I guess they're getting some of this right and that you know, there's any key, you know, interesting lessons you can draw out about how I guess any project can go away and have an impact on Adoptus today? I, I think from my experience, HS2 is, is getting it right. It started off with a systems approach for engineering, configuration management, uh, assurance. And it's learned how to do that better and better over the years. And, and now I'd say it's, it's a leader in both a systems approach to successful engineering systems, but also things like um, achieving net zero, understanding the impacts of, of engineering for uh, decarbonization. And the more and more we can learn from, you know, one of the biggest projects uh, we've seen in a long while, the more we can learn from those, the better for the future of the UK. Thank you. Andrew, any projects come to mind or anything you've seen recently where this is coming together, at least partially? I think, I think some of the thinking that the Environment Agency is doing at the moment is, is really quite interesting because, you know, quite naturally, they, 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 are, they lean towards, you know, considering what the impacts are of decisions that they make on the projects um, on the, on the, uh, uh, in, in terms of its, its impact on nature and its impact on the rest of the built environment. So I think that, you know, by... by uh, by construct, if you like, some some of the work and some of the thinking they're doing um, is that, and and also when they're now, you know, featuring in flood defences um, and taking alternative approaches to flood defences as opposed to those that are building in, uh, you know, uh, captured carbon for for the future. So I think they are beginning to think of the, the the broader system around them. Thank you. Now we're coming just back to the end now. So uh, I guess starting with you, Andrew. I guess to finish, do you have a, a final thought, a final, I guess. Uh, action you'd like to say to listeners to go and take away and uh... yeah if, if I can I'll steal two first of all is an unashamed advert for the fact that um, you know we, we recently launched the systems approach part two which um, which is which is a great informative um, read about case studies around the the use of the systems approach so I, I would advocate that if people have got some time to, to read that the second one is I just ask people to go away and think about in their daily life you know what kind of systems are they operating in? How are they making decisions in what, whatever they do? Because as I said at the start, a systems approach can be applied not just to engineering, but to just about everything we do. Mm. And therefore, there is very, very few decisions that anybody makes in their life, but particularly their work life, that, uh, that are made in isolation. So just have a thought about the system you're operating in. Thank you. Paul, final thought takeaway for, for our listeners? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that the systems approach is not just for engineers. It's certainly, in, in my experience, I'm working with uh, different projects. It it's, may not have started off as a friend, but it was a, 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 a close pal by the end of the project for commercial, contractual uh, people, uh, as well as the project managers. Absolutely loved the work I was doing and the work my team was doing. It really helped them do their job and, and, and protect the project from overspend and, and taking too long to deliver. Super. 
Well, thank you very much. So, well, that's all we have time for today. So thank you to Andrew and Paul for joining us and sharing your insight. Uh, you can learn more about this topic and find more podcasts, videos and other resources on the ICE Knowledge Hub, which you can access via ice.org.uk. New content will be launched most Thursdays this year, so do keep a lookout. This has been the ICE Tech Talks podcast, and I've been your host, James Crumley. We hope you can join us again soon. Goodbye.